Praise the Lord. Welcome to our Tuesday Bible study. This evening, we want to look at the word conversion. And I have two passages that I'm going to read initially, and I'm telling us it's going to be a lot of scripture. But two passages I want to read in the beginning. The first is Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now that second clause there in, in uh, verse 7 where it says converting the soul. That's what I want us to, to focus on. And then over in the book of James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Conversion. That's what we're teaching on. Conversion. Let's pray. Father, again, it's our privilege to look here into the word of God. We pray that you would help us to understand how you go about changing us. So we love you and we appreciate you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. So James is, is talking about the individual who's in sin and how we can bring that person from sin into righteousness. Now to begin with, conversion is a voluntary change. It's a change in your mind. It's a change in your will a change in your attitude. And it's something that occurs because of repentance and because of faith. Now, prior to repentance and faith is what we call conviction. The Spirit of God comes and he convinces us of sin. He explains to us that our actions and our deeds are sinful. In the process of that, we then discover that we're sinners. You say, well, how do we discover that? By hearing the gospel. Somebody explains to you why Jesus came. Someone takes the time to share with you that the Lord was born of a virgin, lived without sin, came into this world in order to redeem those who were in bondage under the law or in sin. And when you hear that story, according to Ephesians chapter 1, having heard, you believe and then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But between hearing and believing, there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the act of repentance that occurs in our heart and in our life. And as we feel sorrowful for how we've lived and from our separation from God, it's at that point that where God brings the power conviction, he has also provided the power to repent. And where there's a power to repent, there's power to believe. And where there's power to believe, there's the power of a newly regenerated life. And all of that can take place faster than it, that little bit of time it took me to snap my fingers. So James again tells us when someone errs, they're moving away from what is true. And then he goes on to say that by bringing that person back towards the truth, we save a soul from death, that's eternal death, a 
it's, it's a life of separated from God. And we also hide many different kinds of sins. Now, I don't know how many different sins there are in the world, but I do know that when a man or woman is born again, then there's a lot of stuff that is washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for me, being raised as I was raised on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio, when I became a Christian as a little kid, I still had all kinds of sins that were in my life. And so the blood took care of all of that. Now, if, if, if you were like my wife, of course, then my wife just about came into this world full of the Holy Ghost, like John the Baptist or something like that. Then she gets saved. There's not a whole lot, whole lot to deal with. She would have been a perfect Mennonite if she would have been raised that way. But for us, who came into this world in a pretty bad environment, then we recognize that the blood is absolutely useful. So conversion turns a person's life in an entirely different direction. And the way you know that a person has, has changed is you look at the fruit of their life. The man or woman that says they're born again but has no evident fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, you have to wonder whether or not there's truly been a change. God changes your attitude. He changes your mind. And when he does that, he gives you a new disposition that leads you to want to walk with God. Nobody ever had to beg me to go to church when I was a kid. I couldn't wait to go because I was born again. That's part of the nature of God, to want to be around God's people and to want to read God's book. Nobody ever had to, to beg me to come to a prayer meeting. Nobody had to beg me to read a Bible. I wanted to read the Bible because I belonged to him. So again... In Psalm 19, God's word is perfect. It converts, it changes our insides. It changes the soul. Now then, we have to look at, there's another verse here I wrote down. I want us to, to look at Psalm 85. And in Psalm 85, Notice what it says in verse number four, because I want you to see, first of all, that God, he turns men to himself. It's God that's doing the work in conversion. Psalm 85, look at verse four. Here is the prayer. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger towards us to cease. So God goes out of the way to shift our lifestyle, and to turn us. Now, how can God do that? He can do that through people's prayer. He can do that through the word. Remember, the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord is pure and perfect. It converts the soul. Conversion is a turning. So when we pray and ask God to convert a loved one, you're saying essentially to the God of salvation, turn them, Lord, from sin to righteousness. And that's a good way to pray. Don't ever leave it to somebody else. Leave it to God because God's big enough to turn us. What did God do to turn you? What kind of circumstances were created in your life that eventually led you to turn to God? There's some people, they're stubborn enough to say, I'll never, ever become a Christian. I'm just too smart and I'm too logical in my thinking. Well, give it time. Somebody's praying for you. God has a way of turning that heart. Sometimes it can happen just like that. It can happen in a dream. God can do it through a prophecy. 
It can happen just by you staring up into the heavenlies one day and God speaks to you about the stars in the middle of the night. God can whisper a word to your heart through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit and turn you towards him. And he can do it in a way that we can't do it. Now let's look at another verse here over in, I think I put Isaiah. Let's look at Isaiah 31 and notice verse 6 here. Isaiah 31, verse 6, it says, Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. It is within the heart of a man to rebel against God's word. Don't ever forget that. God has given us free will. We are free moral agents. You can make the determination whether you're going to serve God or not. You can say no. Three people can hear the same gospel message. Two people will accept the word of the Lord and become Christian. The third person may sit there and be indifferent to it all and not be interested at all. But you can see from this verse that we just read here in verse 6, it says that you then turn from him whom you've deeply revolted. So, So God is not willing that any should perish. So it's within your spiritual ability to hear what God is saying as the Spirit of God is bringing the light of God's Word and producing illumination and shining it upon your life. But you have to also understand it's within your power of the will to make a choice. To make a choice. That when the gospel is proclaimed to you, you then can choose to obey God or disobey God. When the Lord's calling you to ministry, you can choose to obey or disobey. When the Lord is saying to you, like he told Jonah, go here or go there, you can choose to obey or disobey. That doesn't discount the foreknowledge of God. He already knows the choices we're going to make before we make them, but it does not diminish the ability he's given to you and given to me to make that choice. And that's one of the beautiful gifts of the creation of Adam and Eve, God gave them the opportunity to choose. They did not have to eat that fruit. They both chose to eat that fruit. And although Adam blamed the woman, and the woman blamed the snake, the bottom line is God spoke to both of them and said, I've given you dominion, but this tree here, you stay away from it. They made a choice to walk over there in that direction. So conversion is when the believer says, I'm turning from iniquity in order to walk closely with God. When I do that, then I have the expectation that when I make the turn, I'm also leaving behind those things that are hindrances in my life. Let me give you another verse. Let's go to Ezekiel now and let's go to chapter 14 and let's look at verse number 6. Ezekiel 14, and then verse number 6. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, repent. See, what is repent? That is a change of mind. That's to turn. And notice what he says there. Turn yourselves, or since yourselves is in italics, we can omit it. Turn from your idols. And turn away your faces from all your abominations. 
So the prophet of God, in speaking to the children of Israel who had a covenant with God and who certainly knew better, they hear from the Lord as he says to them, repent. The only time God calls for us to repent is when there's the presence of sin, when we've done wrong. There is no reason for godly sorrow unless we have done something that is ungodly. But once godly sorrow manifests, then it's possible for us to genuinely repent and go in a different direction. You will never repent unless you understand that it grieves God. But if you understand that it grieves God and you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, then you will want to turn from your idols. Now, what's an idol? Anything that helps you grieve God. Anything that robs God of his glory. Anything that diminishes the power of God in your life, that's an idol. Now, overseas, of course, people may bow down to an idol, get down on all fours and do the whole worshiping thing. But it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly like that. You can have an idol in your life that controls you, but you don't necessarily lift your hands in worship. But it governs every aspect of your life. Sometimes a a job can be an idol. Sometimes a computer can be an idol. Sometimes a sport can become an idol. It doesn't have to talk. It doesn't have to be able to hear. It doesn't even have to have a heart that beats within it. But there are people with small little statuettes all over the place that govern their lives, and they use those statuettes as some kind of a god or deity. Let's not forget that when Paul went to Ephesus to preach the revival in Acts chapter 19, the move of God was so sweet there that multitudes were accepting the Lord Jesus Christ People were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles were taking place. The demons were being cast out of people. And one of the craftsmen gathered all of the other craftsmen together and said, if we let this man keep preaching, then it's going to endanger the bottom line of our profit margin. Because the more people that become Christian, the fewer there are to buy our figurines of Diana, the great goddess of the Ephesians. So we've got to do what we can to stop it. And the moment you begin to touch a person's god or goddess, you'll find there's a rage and a hostility that breaks, breaks out inside of that person because they don't want to lose the very thing that they adore or what they're making money from. Let's not forget that Paul also cast the devil out of a girl who had a spirit of divination. And the the, the KJV uses the language damsel because that means a young girl, which is a reflection of the original Greek. So once the demon spirit was cast out, the little girl could no longer tell people's fortunes. She could no longer crystal gaze. She could no longer make money for the people that were controlling her. And that's why they were ready to kill the apostle Paul. And when Christ comes into a region and turns people from the idols of their lives, people get angry and people get upset. I heard about a revival where Dr. Charles S. Price went somewhere up in Canada many, many decades ago. I guess this would have been back in the 20s. And they said that so many people gave their hearts to the Lord at that time in the roaring 20s that said for 12 years they couldn't even have a prom 
oh my, who would have ever even thought prom was bad? But, but I, guess, I guess at that time, the idea of all of those folks out there just shaking their little tails out there on the dance floor and boogie-woogieing and all of that, some people thought that was unseemly, and for 12 years they couldn't do it because a man of God had preached the gospel and people came under conviction about that particular act. Well, I can tell you now, dancing sure has changed a lot. And there's a lot more of what they're doing today. If they thought that was bad then, I wonder what they think about what's going on right now. If they could come, come, come back to life. Okay, so Ezekiel 14, verse 6, turn from your idols. Interesting. What kind of idols do you have in your life? Turn away your faces from all your abominations. Now, I said earlier that a sport can become an idol, a church can become an idol, people can be so enamored by and in love with their denomination that they don't think God can move in any other group. And there are people who are so dedicated to their seat on the 35-yard line or somewhere behind the, the uh, home team's bench at a basketball game that if they can't make it to a game, they get sick. Just the idea that they can't make it. I've even had parents in years past, I don't hear too much of this now, but I used to hear parents in years past, they would say, you know, my kids went from kindergarten all the way through high school, and I never, ever missed a game. Never missed one. I was there, and even sometimes I was there for most of the practices. And then, as they're going through all of that, then I would usually ask the question, i say, well, how many church services did you miss during that same time you were raising them? Oh, well, everybody don't have to go to church every week. Well, they must do, because you're as religious about your attendance at a sporting event as somebody else is about serving God. And the one thing I do know is that serving God is going to bring greater and long-lasting and permanent blessings into that life then some other thing. So keep your priorities right. Then something won't develop into idolatry. The man of God says here in verse 6, turn away your faces from all your abominations. So that refers to those things also that, that don't please God. But why then, if we think of conversion, why is it necessary? Well, Jesus said, in speaking with his disciples, except you be converted as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Why then would conversion be important? And why would the example of a child be important? The reason God uses a child, I believe, is because a child's disposition can change just like that. A little kid can be angry with you for a moment, just in a split second, suddenly change. Don't always hold the grudges. You, you can have a, a little infant that's throwing a tantrum and not quite happy because you took away their favorite toy from them, but then after having taken that toy and they're sitting there screaming and yelling, watching everybody else play with it all around the room, you come over there with just a little piece of aluminum foil. Oh, my. 
And, and that frown all of a sudden turns upside down and where they were pouting and shaking because they were crying, now they got that aluminum foil and there's a big smile on that face. Only a kid can do that. Don't you love that? I mean, my, my mom and pops loved to tease me when I got older about how they go out and buy all these expensive toys, toys for me and race tracks and all of this stuff. And, and then they come and put all that stuff down there on the floor. And, and then here I am pulling all of that stuff out. And by the time it's all over, I was more, I was more enamored with the wrappings than I was with the, the gift on the inside. Think about that, see? A kid. And Jesus said, except you become like that, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You have to be willing to believe what God says. You've got to believe what he says about you. You have to believe what he says about him. You have to believe what he says about other people. Conversion then brings us into close proximity with the king and gives us that relationship with him. Now we, we looked at James chapter 5 early on. And just uh, looking at that one more time, you can see in verses 19 and 20 that if you, if, if you convert them, you save a soul from death. So one of the purposes in leading people to Christ for the purpose of conversion is that you preserve a person so that they won't die and go to hell. We do not want to lose anyone. God's not willing that any should perish. So we're working feverishly to convert people. God does the conversion, but you understand what I'm saying. We're working feverishly to witness to people, to tell them the story. The work is wrought in them by God, but the story is told to them by us. We're telling about God. We're doing our work, and God's doing his work. So conversion is necessary in that regard. Now, what are some of the, the ways, then, that God's going to work to convert a person? We read it in Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, the, the preached and the taught word of God is what's going to change a person's life. And, and it's, it's, it's very plain and very clear that where there's an absence of the law of the Lord, there's also an absence of conversion. I want you to let that sink in. You think about that for a second. If the word of God isn't preached, then there'll be no way somebody will able, be able to be converted. What's the purpose of the law? To indicate and to point out sin. So that means the proper application of the law of God to my life is to help me to know that I'm lost. I think I told you in the last Bible study, great preacher many years ago named J.C. Hibbert, he made the statement, you have to get a man lost before you can get him saved. He has to know he's a sinner. If you cannot convince your grandma or your son and daughter that they're separated from God and in sin, it's going to be near impossible to lead that same sinner to believe they need redemption from sin. But the moment you are able to do that, a life can be changed. The way you're going to do that is through the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. So here was a, a gentleman one time buying plane tickets on the telephone. And I'll forget this gentleman's name, but he does a lot of witnessing and preaching with uh, Kirk Cameron, that guy out there in Hollywood. But 
the, the gentleman told the story of how he was ordering some, some uh, plane tickets. And he said when he was on there, the, the person was asking the question, uh, what, where, where do you want to sit on the plane? So the person was saying, I'll take, you know, an aisle seat and, you know, started asking the uh, airline attendant a few questions. And so asked the airline attendant if they went to church. And the airline attendant said, I'm just as good as anybody else. I, I don't have to worry about church or anything like that. And so he, he said to that lady on the phone, he said, now, let me ask you a question. He said, have you ever told a lie before? She said, yes. He said, what does that make you? She said, well, uh, I guess a liar. He, he said, have you, you, ever, you ever stole anything that didn't belong to you? Candy bar, piece of candy, anything. She said, well, yeah. He said, what does that make you? She said, well, I guess a thief. He said, I, I don't mean to be too forward, but have you ever indulged in an immoral act? She understood as an adult. And, and, and she said, well, uh, yeah. He said, well, what does that make you? And, and before she could answer, he said, I'll take an aisle seat. And when he tried to cut her off and move on in that conversation, she said, oh, no, absolutely not. We've got to continue this conversation because you, you brought all this conviction unto me now. So now she wants to know how to escape the conviction. And he can take her right into the kingdom of God. So Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The application of that law to the life of a sinner will help that person to recognize they're separated from God, that there's a great gulf between them and the king. And once that is recognized, you've now set them up to know how to be saved. Because it's the grace of God that reaches out and brings a person out. Once I've experienced the law, I'm ready to experience the grace of God. So conversion then. Conversion is going to occur because of the word of God. It's going to be the primary instrument that the Lord uses to save a soul and change a life. Now, now what else will God use to help bring conversion in the life of a person? A witness, a messenger. Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 12 for you folks that really love the Lord and come to church with Bibles. Then we'll, we'll go to Matthew, Matthew 12 there. And, and for you that, that don't carry those, we'll just read it to you. Okay, Matthew 12, notice verse 15. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. So notice there's a large number of people interested in what he has to say. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 17, it tells us he's fulfilling Isaiah the prophet's statement. In verse 18, behold my servant in whom I have chosen. And then it goes on to give a description. And then verse 21, it says, and in his name, the Gentiles shall trust. So the Gentiles are going to believe what Jesus says. Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jewish people. People that don't have a covenant with God as the Jewish people originally had. And they're going to listen to the witness and they're going to be converted and hear because of what Jesus said. That's why he preached the kingdom of God. Now, once he chose his apostles, they went and preached the gospel. 
When he went to heaven, the apostles themselves multiplied. And the book of Acts is all about the witness of those same disciples and apostles. And so when we lead people to Christ, we are doing the very thing God called us to do. Now, if you can remember your conversion, you can remember what it was like when you were born again. If you had one of those instant ones where you were changed immediately, you understand. You might have had a, a slower progression where God brought you into the truth and little by little you came to acknowledge that truth. But there still was a point where everything made sense and the blood of Jesus became very, very important to you. But my conversion was dramatic. Others have had dramatic conversions. All of our paths are different, but all of us have had to come in the kingdom the very same way. The gospel is heard, conviction comes, then there's repentance, there's faith, there is the new birth, and here we are now brand new and regenerated by the power of God, and we are in resemblance of our heavenly father. So we now begin to act exactly like him. That is what conversion is. It is the transformation of a life into a godly life so that we exhibit the characteristics of God. If you tell me you're a Christian, but you don't like Christians or church or the Bible, I'm going to say you're not a believer at all. You say, well, you don't understand. I was raised in church. You could be raised in a barn, but that doesn't make you a chicken. You could have been raised, you could have been raised anywhere, raised out in the field under the stars, but that's not going to make you any kind of livestock. You have to have been born again to understand what I'm talking about. Otherwise, it's like I'm speaking a different language to you. But conversion gives you a new set of faculties. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, except you're born again, you cannot see. Except you're born again, you cannot enter. So with a new set of faculties now, God gives you new eyes, and you have a totally different perspective, and your outlook does not, it does not approximate to the perspective of somebody who doesn't know God. God gives you a new ability to hear. You hear things differently now because you're listening for something different. God is renewing your mind, and with the renewing of the mind, the faculties are sharpened and they are enhanced. You don't even have to have a gift of the discerning of spirits to recognize what's taking place in a person's life or around the world sometimes. If you pay attention to the scripture and fill your mind with the word of God, God will give you a discerning heart. and You'll be able to see what's right you'll be able to see what's wrong. So I can, I can discern what's going on today in an unconverted nation dominated by fear. People are terrified. They sit there all day long and they watch that television. And those reporters that are on there who know very little about God and, and even less about the Bible, they sit there and they'll have a doctor on here who says, I'm telling you right now, the, the, the folks in, a, in America in the medical field they don't have enough masks. So you good folks in America need to stop with those masks because we're not sure that you need them anyhow. And then another person come on there and say, I'm telling you, if you don't get one of them masks quick, you're going to be inhaling coronavirus and you're going to fall over dead. You're going to take two steps and have a heart attack. And you sit there and you listen to all of this confusion. It produces fear. And then they got the ticker tape right there on the side of the television. How many hundreds of thousands are affected with corona? How many have died? 
And then it tells you about how many have died in America. And you stare at that thing for eight hours and nine hours. Oh, my goodness. And then you just think, if I go outside the house and go to the grocery store and I grab the bread, my skin is probably going to fall off me. It's terrible out there, folks. It's terrible. that's, That's the whole thing that comes in because of all of this fear. But if you renew your mind with God's word, God will help you to see you can have a discerning spirit. This nation needs to be converted to truth. I'm not, I'm not undervaluing the, the, uh, the badness of this, this virus. There are people that are dying. and There are funerals taking place all over the planet. There are a whole lot of weeping and crying people. But, but I, I'm, I'm curious when I, when I look at all of this and the sadness that people have in the world over people with flu-like symptoms, how come people aren't this angry over the number of babies that are aborted every day? Yeah. See, it takes a discerning spirit to start thinking about that. See, nobody's afraid to come out the house with all of that going on. But here we are teaching and believing that God's word is true. Psalm 19 says, God's word is perfect, converting the soul. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, If you see anybody err from the truth, you convert them. He said, You have hid a multitude of sins. Folks, let's each one reach one and tell somebody about God. And until we all get together again, let's walk in faith. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. And when fear is trying to grab hold to you and is trying to put you in that straitjacket, just throw it off and resist it in Jesus' name. Be wise, but be strong and bold and courageous in your faith. In Jesus' name. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. Amen.